You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. All right. So here we are. We're resuming back in 2023. It seems to be an appropriate time. Uh, you know, I'm always one of those guys that kind of uh, during the beginning of the years, as I've stated so often, is that, you know, it's a time of prayer and fasting. You know, during the winter time, even, you know, there's hibernation of the beer, the bears, right? And things kind of go into a death season with this particular time. There are four seasons within the natural cycle uh, of nature. And so likewise, obviously, we just kind of foul that. And so after we've had an abundant and eat lots of food during the last quarter of 2022, you got Halloween in which we get all sugared up. And then we go into Thanksgiving, in which we get all proteined up and starched up. And then come to Christmas and we're having our ham and we're having our prime rib. And then it comes to New Year's and who knows what... You, what you eat, you know, but uh, all that quarter seems to be like you're just feasting. Well, sometimes we want to induce a fast so that we kind of recalibrate so that we put our focus on Christ rather than ham and prime rib and all and kind of extending into that. And just as natural cycles within nature itself go through, so we likewise also kind of go through those same things. So we want to continue. It seems to be inappropriate. I didn't plan it this way that we continue into prayer. I mean, it's just, you know how I am an everlasting series preacher, so we wanted to get right into this. Amen. All right, we wanted to look, of course, at the priestly duties, and let me just kind of give you a synopsis of everything as we come in for a landing for this. Uh, there are three terms, uh, the term uh, over his heart, as we see here in Exodus chapter 28, verse 29, we are talking about priestly duties or priestly prayers and the responsibilities. Uh, it says here, whenever Aaron enters the holy place. He will bear the names of the sons of Israel. Notice this over his heart. Say over his heart. Notice the place of proximity that the people are to be close to his heart, just like the people are close to Jesus's heart. You know, this goes contrary into sometimes our theological perspectives here in the West in which we're self-made people. Say, I'm a self-made man. No, we're God-made people for the Christian. And so we can be very much an independent-minded people, and there are certain strengths and there are positives to that, but there is also a liability to that too, in which we become dependent upon ourselves and our own strength and what I get, and I'm going to go get my own. That's an ungodly mindset. Amen? So people were close over his heart. And on the breastplate of decision as a continual memorial before the Lord. So the priest never went in just saying, oh God, you know, give me my food. Oh God, give me a new house. Oh God, give me a new car. Give me, give me, give me. Lord, just give me, give me, give me. No, there was a responsibility of the priest that he was not concerned just about his own needs, but the needs of the people. And so a circumcised heart has concern for other people because listen, don't you understand? He cares for you. So if he cares for you, the great and the almighty one, and you have nothing to be concerned about, should you not be concerned for other people? Uh, so again, and just I highlight this particular scripture because three times this term over his heart is used. That means God is making an emphasis in the Old Testament of the responsibilities and the duty of a priestly heart. And you'll see this in the New Testament expressed 
uh, in the pastoral role in which they have, uh, uh, they have a concern always for the flock of God. Good pastors have always concern, not just for themselves, but for the flock of God. You see, when the scripture uh, reveals what is to be over our heart, where we come from, the Lord, we need to pay attention. What is in the Old Testament concealed is in the New Testament revealed. You see, in the Old Testament, it's the shadow, but in the New Testament, it's the substance. You need So the fulfillment of this particular passage of Scripture, if you will, is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And it states this, But you, you, yes, you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And of course, if you recall, there were three royal positions. You had the priest, you had the prophet, and you had the king. These were people of renown. And uh, let me use this as an example in contemporary government. It'd be like having maybe the president go by or the secretary of state go by. Or maybe the Secretary of Defense going by. Three uh, people of elevated royal means. Of course, we don't live in a monarchy, but it gives you the same type of insight. And here we see that Peter is calling you in a position of royalty. So indeed, you can say you are amongst the elite, whether you know it or not. So you have to change your mindset to understand that you're royalty. Now, that's not to, in your pride and in your arrogance, think that you're better than other people because the priest's heart wants to include people and bring that revelation of who they are in Christ and everyone says. So, but again, you are chosen. You are a royal priesthood. Notice the emphasis is on royal. He could have said you're a priesthood. Is that not correct? But Peter includes this adjective called royal because he's trying to retweak your mindset of what it means to be a priest. That means you're part of royalty. God in his divine uh, providence and according to his purpose and his plan for mankind in the earth, he was to make mankind a king in the earth. He was to call him a prince, if you will, within the earth. So that is what your destiny is to be in him. We are joint heirs with Christ. I want you to think about that for a moment. You're joint heirs with Christ. And where is Christ? Christ is on a throne. And so you got to understand this elevated position that you have as you surrender to Christ. It's not to be taken lightly. It's only those who've surrendered themselves to his purpose and to his will. And everyone says, as we continue on with respect to the priestly duties, we have in Exodus chapter 28, verse 15, it says, fashion a breast piece for making decisions. What's interesting about this in the making of decisions, pardon me one moment, uh, and ex- it says this, that we have, uh, they used what was called the Urim and the Thurim was for making decisions. God's decisions are right decisions. Amen. We see the fulfillment of this and, how, and th- what this shows us with regards to the to priests, it wasn't that they personally made an executive decisions. Their decisions were based on what was the, came out of the ermine and the thermine. So whatever that was, they were willing to subscribe or to yield to what those decisions were, believing, of course, that it was the will of God. What's, what's my point in all that? They were not selfishly ambitious to make their own decisions according to their understanding, but it was according to the divine providence of God. And so as priestly prayers, as we are a royal priesthood, 
What is your ambitions in life? And do you submit your ambitions? I've always said this, that ambition, there's nothing wrong with ambition as long as it's godly ambition and not selfish ambition. Selfish ambition will actually kill you in life. It will get you a lot in life, but you'll find out that when you uh, 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 pass away, when you die, you'll find out that that selfish ambition did not serve you in eternity. And everyone says... So we see the fulfillment of this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, this with respect to making decisions. And this is Jesus uh, on his Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 10. This then is how you should pray. And it says this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I've highlighted and underlined this portion, because this is what I want to draw your attention to. Notice it says your kingdom. It doesn't say my kingdom. It says your kingdom. So Jesus is showing us, if you will, a type of prayer that looks very much priestly in which he's saying your kingdom come. And notice this, your will be done, because how many know you have a will? You see, you are a tripart being. You are a spirit. That's the part of you that's born again. You have this corporeal or this natural body. The Apostle Paul calls it a tent. And of course, we know according to the book of Genesis that he breathed in his spirit into this corporeal matter, the dust of the earth, and we became a living soul. What makes up that living soul is your mind, your will, and your emotion. So you can be a carnal Christian, a soulless Christian, or a spiritual Christian. And the spiritual Christian is one who will be compliant to this Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus says, your will, not my will be done. We see the full manifestation of this in the Garden of Gethsemane. As I showed you that, that again was a priestly type of a prayer. And listen, I want you to reflect upon this for a moment. Jesus has gone through three years of ministry. He's the Son of God, no sin nature inside of him. He is perfect. And yet at the very end of his life, right before he's crucified, he has to pray, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And if Jesus himself had to come to a place in which he submitted his will and his ambitions and certainly had to be strong upon him. In fact, we know this because he even told one of his disciples, do you not know that I could call upon a legions of angels to get me out of here? So Jesus is saying, I have power, and if I so choose to, in my ambition, I can exercise my will and get out of this ordeal. Yet not my will, not that I'm going to be saved by angels and get out of this predicament. I know this is what I'm called to do. I know I'm to lay down my life for the people. And if Jesus again had to do it, who do you think you are to be exempt from that? You're not greater than Jesus. It's actually very arrogant of corruptible humans to think that they're greater than Jesus and that through this process of life, if Jesus goes through a process of having to submit his will, how much more do you think you and I have to submit our will? I think probably a whole lot more. Come on, are you here? And me, one hand, two hand, three hands, a lot. Excuse me while I tumble. (laughs) Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. In fact, we see it again in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. And again, I highlight this, I embolden it. Give us today our daily bread. Notice it doesn't say, give me today 
our daily bread. So notice it's not just a concern for his need. He's concerned about the people. This is why we see this expressed in the feeding of the thousands. He was the one who looked upon him and had compassion. It wasn't about his desires. Of course, he already knows and has faith to believe that God's going to provide for him, that the Father is going to give him every good thing. So he's pleading. We see this as an expression of a type of priestly prayers. And so how powerful it is that this has got to be the foundation of our heart when we come into the presence of God, that we're not just preoccupied with our concerns. You know, sometimes I've grown up in church and all kinds of different churches and done itinerant ministry. I'm always amazed by, and listen, there's nothing wrong with having needs, but you'll see that people have what I call a needs center or self-centered type of a prayer life. They're always praying about their needs and their wants and their desires and their ambitions. And I sit there and I think this is really a reflection of our culture. It's not a reflection of the kingdom. Because in the kingdom, it's not, you know, give me today my daily bread. It's give us today. That means he was including other people in this prayer. The people that he was concerned about. Those he would eventually lay down his life for. And so how much more should this be governing our prayer life is that we begin to pour ourselves out in prayer and everyone says. Now, also, we see this reflected with Paul. So here we see, again, in the Old Testament in Exodus, reflected in the priestly prayers of this prayer in Matthew chapter 6, as well as Matthew uh, uh, verse 9 through 10, as well as verse 11. And then we see Paul, the same thing, the heart of a priestly prayer, a man of God. In 1 Timothy, verse 2, verse 1, I urge you, say, I urge you. Okay, not just, well, if you want to take this for your consideration, I submit this to you. No, I urge you. That means there's a push towards this. Have this type of a mindset. Then, first of all, say first of all. It doesn't say last of all or, you know, this is just kind of peripheral. This is kind of a footnote. He's like, no, I want you to take, I'm urging you. And first of all, this is what you need to understand. So notice the governing of his prayer life. It says, first of all, that petitions, say petitions. Prayers and intercession. Notice they're not all lumped together, each one of those. And of course, we don't have time to go through the difference between petitions, prayers, and intercessions. Again, I like it into sports, just like you have football and you have baseball and you have hockey. They're all under the umbrella of sports. This is all a type of a prayer. And it says this, and thanksgiving be made, notice this, for all people. So notice the Apostle Paul wants to birth inside of his young disciple that you need to be concerned for all people, not just yourself. So we see the priestly type of prayer and we see intercession in which it's not concerned about self exclusively, but its primary uh, operation is found in that you have a concern for people. This is why we don't have many people that are what I call prayer warriors or people of intercession. Because they're not concerned or the spirit of God wants to move on you to be concerned about what he's concerned about. This is why prayer can become very professional. It's not priestly at all. It's very professional. This is why when you come in his presence and, you know, well, Lord, uh, I, I, I pray I have a blessed day and thank you for my house and I got food. Amen. And that's about the extent of their prayer life because that's the extent of their relationship with God. It's very superficial and it's very professional. 
or it becomes liturgical. You're just reciting some dead guy's prayers from 3,000 years ago, or two, I should say, 1,500 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, and then say, this is our dogma. This is what we believe in. And all it was was a prayer from a saint in the past who had a revelation, but you don't have any revelation of it, so you live a liturgical prayer life, a professional prayer life. And listen, the presence of God lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of us. And he wants to release what's in his heart to our heart. So when you have these type of liturgical and professional prayers, you show that you haven't received the impulses of God's heart to you. And this is what the role of intercession is. This is why you don't see a lot. I mean, there are intercessors, but you really in today's age and where we're going, we need a lot more intercessors in the house of God. There used to be a point in time in which the uh, intercession within the house of God, you would have it littered throughout the house of God in which prayer meetings were some of the most, uh, I would say, uh, meetings in which you had the most amount of people. Today, it's all about let's have a pachanga or a, let's have a party and let's, you know, and everyone's going to come out for that because we all want to. And as pastors, people just architect that in order to just try and get people and get numbers into the church. And that shouldn't be so. Because we're a spiritual institution, not just a cultural institution. Come on, I'm preaching. I know it's a first service and everything like that. And it's Sunday morning and some of us are fans. But listen, you have to understand, this is vitally important. So this is why you can hear reflected where people are at. They're either a cultural prayer warriors or they're going to be a kingdom prayer warrior. You, you make a decision what kind of prayer person you want to be. Amen. Amen, Amen Pastor Robert. All right. Prophetic prayers. Let's look at prophetic prayers. Now, with prophetic prayers, of course, we went on and talked in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years. Notice this, except at my word. Now, I want you to take into consideration, this guy is either extremely arrogant or he knows who he is. I mean, take it into consideration. If some man of God sat there and said, you know what? There's going to be no rain unless I speak it. You'd be like, who's this guy think he is? That's pretty arrogant of you. Who do you think you are? You think you're the prince of the power of the air? I mean, we could think that is the height of ambition. This is the height of arrogance, but he's a man of God. And this was in a prophetic type of declaration that was coming. And listen, this was an execution upon the gods that, of course, Israel vacated to. In fact, we see the policies and the actions of Ahab and Jezebel are intended to promote Baal as the national deity of Israel in the place of Yahweh. Baal is a god of lightning and storm and responsible for the fertility of the land. By withholding rain, Yahweh is demonstrating the power of his kingship in the very area of nature over which Baal is thought to have jurisdiction. So when he sat there and said, mm, you know what, there's not going to be any rain. It was a prophetic declaration that Baal is not chief over Israel. He's saying he has power over that prince that established itself over the territory of Israel. And so we see here that this was a prophetic type of a prayer. It's an engagement. It's not just priestly in concerns with the people. 
It's actually an engagement with the second heavens in which there was prophetic utterance that indeed was given. And everyone says we see in first Kings chapter 18, verse 42, Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed on the top of, uh, of Carmel and not Carmel down the road here, bent down to the ground. Watch. Are you ready for this? We already went through this, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. What was that? That was an act of intercession and birthing. Strange type of prayer. I'm sure none of you ever prayed this way. But then again, you also in intercession have actually never produced the miracles that he did. So maybe you ought to be a little bit. And this is why people run to medicine men and voodoos and witch doctors and all these other things, because they're the ones who actually engage in that world. But the Christians would rather be professional rather than be powerful. Some of you got that. It's true. Some Christians would rather be professional rather than powerful. They'd rather be cultured. And I want to be cultured too. I want to be relevant too. But not at the sake of not having the power of God or the kingdom of God made manifest in our lives. In fact, this happened seven times. He went into this weird position of birthing. Seven times, and of course, you know what ends up happening is on the seventh time, he saw just a small manifestation that brought about the breakthrough. When we sing about the breakthrough, these things should come to your mind. He had a breakthrough. He, wasn't, he, didn't, he didn't do it after three times and said, well, it must not be God's will, right? He didn't, he didn't have a theology of divine providence, okay? Let me, let me explain this. Uh, some people will say, well, it just must be the will of God. They live by divine providence, but we don't live by divine providence. We live by faith. Some of you get that by next week. Come on, are you here? Now, let me give you an example. Actually, uh, during this particular storm, and I want to be very careful because obviously when it comes to these type of things, we know that there's tragedy that can come upon the just as well as the unjust. Amen. We understand that. Even Jesus made mention of this with regards to a tower that fell down and killed people. And of course, the disciples are kind of thinking, well, why? they must have been evil people. That's the reason why this tragedy came. And Jesus is talking. And he explains, no, that isn't always necessarily the case. Are you here? So, but I was, I had found out about, we were, where we live, we were in a uh, evacuation order is what it is. I think it's called evacuate. We were under, in the area, if you look at it, an evacuation order. And I found out kind of last minute, uh, Pastor Wendy said, hey, do you know we're under evacuation orders? I'm like, for what? <laughs> and so I began to look it up and things like that. And then I walked outside and went to my neighbor across the street. He's a good uh, Christian brother. And I said, did you know we're under evacuation orders? And he's like, yeah, you could tell he, was, he, he wasn't going to leave. And, uh, you know, you had other neighbors that weren't like him and maybe a little bit more concerned and they were nervous and they were scared and things like that. And of course, then I went back inside and looked at, you know, the, the news and what they had to say about that and the meteorologist guy and the Doppler radar and all that and saw the swirling and all these things out in the Pacific. And after all these things, I thought, you know what, I'm going to pray about this because I'm not going as it is right now. So I ended up going and as I began to begin to pray and get close. And that was a concern of mine. God gave us this house and no destruction is going to come. And when they say there's going to be a river that's coming down the street, uh, I don't buy that. I have to be confirmed by that, by the Holy Ghost. It's not that I disrespect all the smart people and the meteorologists and all these things, uh, but I'm not going to go be doing things based on that. It's going to be based on divine knowledge that they don't have. 
Are you here? All of this, I'm in agreement with all this, but it's got to be submitted to his knowledge. So I went upstairs and began to pray and began to pray in the spirit. And I won't even reenact what I did because I'd freak you all out. No, because then I'll go viral and I'll be labeled a heretic. So Cut the cameras. <laughs> Let's just say I went after it. And I let, I, let, I let the enemy know, the prince of the power of the air, that he's not the prince. I'm the prince of this territory. You say, that's arrogant. No, it's not. I'm now the prince of this place. I'm the one who declares what goes on. Just like Jesus, when he himself, when a storm arose, they could have said, well, it must not be God's will for us to go to the other side. Let's turn around. Let's do a U-turn. We don't live by providence. We live by faith. That's how many Christians are. You come from an evangelical or reformed background. Well, it must not be God's will. Let's turn around. Safety first. Come on. Again, all this stuff is to be submitted to the purpose of God. But God may speak. Listen to the smart people. Are you here? I'm not opposed to it. Don't hear what I'm not saying and then tweak what I'm trying to say and make me say something I didn't say. So I just remember getting a word. No destruction will come near thy. No destruction will come to you. No destruction will come to your house. No destruction will come to this neighborhood. So what did I begin to do as I began to? And listen, this is the part where when you go into the secret place, you shut the door behind you. You know what that means? You shut the door on what the meteorologist said. You shut the door on what the Doppler, Doppler radar says. You shut the door behind what the neighbors are and maybe their anxiety that you're going through. You shut the door on those things undistracted. Because what happens is the Spirit of God may speak to you, but you're carrying all this baggage from all these people and all these things. And it begins, you begin, become confused and you get in your soul and you're wondering what's God and what's not God and you're in a place of mixture. So you got to keep those things out in order to hear it clearly. And listen, it didn't take me three hours in intercession. It took me only about 10 minutes. In fact, I was quite shocked with how fast it came. As I sat there and declared, and again, I'm not going to show you, don't want to freak you out, but I knew I was okay. And so, of course, my wife is also, hey, could, should we be concerned? I'm like, it's okay. And then even Pastor Gabe, Pastor Gabe, love Pastor Gabe. Pastor Gabe calls me up and, hey, you guys are under evacuation. Just know you have this place. Or I said, well, you know, let me consult with Pastor Wendy and pray about it. And I just had a peace about it, that everything's going to be okay. And, you know, when you have that peace that was secured, that came from the secret place. Again, it's not just you pretending like everything's okay when it's really not okay. I'm talking about you have security because you are in a secret place. Okay, we don't walk blindly and just kind of, that's called Mary Baker Eddy stuff. That's called Christian science. You're just sitting there saying things over and over, but it was never a word of the Lord that came to you in the secret place. You see the difference of that? So it's not just regurgitate, no destruction, or quoting the scripture and that type. That's kind of extreme word faith. Listen, no, this is the spirit of God speaks to you in the secret place and you're declaring, you know, it's kind of interesting. You know, the scripture where Jesus talks about, he says, what you hear in the secret place, shout from the rooftops. In other words, what you hear by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, make declarations to it. And if you can, if, if I, I'll submit this to you, if you take application, that means you have the manifestation of what you hear is actually manifested in your convictions and declaring it into that world. 
So that means in the prophetic world, it's not that I'm sitting there shouting the people, but it's shouting what I know, God, because God empowers you and there is power in your words. And so when I declare, no, there's not going to be a river that no, and you begin to declare these things. Listen, there's power that's actually released. Come on. Are you here? Listen, I mean, medicine men were doing things like this in which they were sitting there grappling in that world and things like that. How much more power is in Christ and inside of you? It's not reserved for the medicine men. Come on, are you here? Okay, now, this is where I want to be sensitive because at the same time, that same Holy Spirit that says there'll be no destruction that comes you is also the one that will say you need to pack up very quickly. I got this under control, but you need to get your family out. Are you here? Okay, so for those maybe who have, there's been some destruction and things like this, this is not to be an indictment like, well, I don't have any faith. Well, listen, I just, I just wanted to hear what God had to say in the secret place for me. Okay, so use this as a testimony that this is actually what is possible. Amen. Not to bring an indictment like, oh, I must not have any faith or anything like that. That's not what this is all about. It's about declaring what God has said in the secret place and everyone says. Okay, we see another example of this. For example, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus is prophetically speaking in which he says, Simon, Simon. Notice he didn't say Peter. And notice he says it twice, which means it's almost like a screaming or an exclamation point, because in the Hebrew, when you you say it twice, there's an exclamation point. And so we see he's jarring his attention because he was being called Peter, correct? So if I call you Sariah, but Sarah, you know, or whatever, and there was a past name that, that brought an identity to an old nature, that's what he's saying. He's calling him by a past uh, identification. So he went, what, what? You're not calling me Peter. What's going on? And when he says that like this, this is what he said. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Imagine getting that word from your discipler. Imagine getting that word from your pastor. I'd be like, I, let's be real with it. That would kind of be a little bit uncanny, would it not? Yeah. Hey, uh, by the way, Ryan, uh, Satan came to me and he's asked to sift you like wheat. You'd be like, excuse me? Why did he tell you and not me? That'd probably be my first question, Right? Why is this only reserved for you? Because Jesus was praying and noticed there was a prophetic word that came to him. That saint asked, listen, I could go through that. Your guys are ambitious. They're only ambitious for position. They just want to use you in order to be a king so they can be in positions of they're really not for you. They really don't believe in your cause. Just let me at them, and I believe I could take them out. And notice that Jesus doesn't say, but I bound them up, and you don't have to worry. There'll be no temptation. You're living a temptation-free life. Mm-hmm. Some Christians just, well, I'm being tormented. Well, torment him back. I'm always, I'm being tormented by the devil. Why? You should be tormenting him. If he comes and he goes to torment me, that's the point in which I go, yay, another fight. I like fighting. I like brawling. Come on means I must be effective that you've targeted me. Woo, hallelujah. I must be doing something right. It's all perspective. It's all perspective. Come on, are you here? 
What did he say? I pray that your faith would not fail. Placing your faith in me in the purpose of the kingdom. Placing your trust in your faith. And then notice, even afterwards, he says, and when you've returned, notice that. So there'd be a shaking when you return, strengthen your brother. In other words, resume back in that position. Don't sit there and think, oh, I'm a loser. I'm unfit to strengthen anybody. No. Soon have you been restored, I want you to get back out there. Amen. It's what we do. We don't allow people to go back in their shame. We don't allow people to go back. No, get back up there. Get back up there. Get back up there. You're not a lost cause. You're never a lost cause. Amen. In the kingdom, Jesus believes in you more than you believe in yourself. And everyone says. I even had this week, I had someone text me. And this is a person I would consider a classical prayer warrior, an intercessor. And out of the blue, text me and began to uh, ask me the question, Do you, are, are, you, are you wanting a house, something to that effect, desire for a bigger house, I think is what the term was. And I thought, uh, this woman must be in the Holy Ghost because my wife and I have been talking about this. We want a, you know, we want a bigger house. Now, I don't want a bigger house because the Joneses have a bigger house than I do. That's not the reason why. I, we both realized that as missionaries, we were always recipient of people's hospitality. And when we first came to be, uh, uh, to take over, resume the pastorate over here, we were in the apartment complex, the Adobe Hacienda. And when you have three kids, you know, here, in which like half the complex was probably Freedom House church people. So, you know, you have no privacies. The walls are thin. I mean, you sneeze and your neighbors hear it. And so we had no privacy. We're like, God, we need some room. So he gives us a house. We should have been more specific in our prayer because now that we're out there, we're like, we want to invite people over, but we don't even have, we have zero parking because everybody has, you know, three cars, four cars, a couple of families. So we have no parking in Watsonville we're at. So we can't even have a connect group. And we're like, man, we want to have connect groups. And then we want to have leadership meetings. And, you know, we would like to have and be able to show hospitality to people. We'd like to invite youth over, you know, as it is right now, maybe four people, I think is what it is that we can host at the time, you know, so we got to kind of compartmentalize the people that we bring over but we don't have an ability to even have connect groups, leadership, or even invite new members to the church. And let's have a barbecue together so that you get to see me outside of a formal setting behind the pulpit, that you can come and just hang out with my family. Let's have a barbecue or something like that. None of those things are possible. And then because we're so far out in Watsonville, most of our peeps are Scotts Valley and, sorry, Watsonville people, but, uh, you know, Santa Cruz and Scotts Valley, we want to be more local so that we can get our kids there and have more uh, access to the people that are around here. So I realized my motivation is because I want to maximize the time that we have here on planet Earth in order to minister. And if we truly believe in connections, I want to be this to be a house of connection and a house in which we begin to minister to people on that level, especially with youth and different things like that. But we don't. So I was like, yes, we do. And I began to outline everything that I just told you. This is the reason why I wanted to. And so she said, we'll, we'll pray into that. So I'm like, hallelujah. That's someone who's in the spirit. And this is a desire that I've had. I haven't prayed too much. Yet, but I had a prayer warrior text me and reveal something that was already there. That obviously the Holy Ghost was revealing that to her. In which I'm like, thank you so much. But this is an example of uh, a, 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 a classical 
uh, uh, prophetic type of a person who is actually an intercessor, interceding on behalf of the saints. And everyone says, all right, just one more, and then you guys can play. (laughs) In John chapter 13, verse 21, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. I want you to notice that when Jesus made this statement, this was at the end of it. And again, this is another example of a prophetic insight to prayer. Notice that he says that I'm troubled in spirit. He didn't say he was troubled in his soul. Do you remember when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, I'm sorrowful unto the point of death. It literally means he's almost to the point of having a mental breakdown. Not quite that strong, but just being sorrowful unto death is a little bit too sanitized. So in other words, his soul, his mind, will, and his emotion, he's being so pressed. But in this particular case, it, was, it says pneumatic. That means his spirit, not his soul. The scripture is actually very... So he's in the spirit, and after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Why? Because someone in whom he was pouring out his life would actually betray him. And it was a sorrowfulness unto what? Unto spirit. So we see here, again, Jesus operating prophetically. And everyone says? So we'll get part two to this part one next week. And everyone says? Why don't you stand to your feet? Did you get something out of that? You've been listening to the Freedom House podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about our house, please visit our website, fhus.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. See you next time.